Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Hokies Press Pass Podcast. Alongside Andy Bitter, the Virginia Tech football beat writer for the Roanoke Times, this is Aaron McFarling, the sports columnist for the Roanoke Times. And wow, what a game we have to talk about this week. Number 12, Virginia Tech hosting number 2, Clemson. You say that like a professional announcer. You sound like... I uh, almost said number 3, Clemson, but I was, like I was looking You sound like Keith Jackson or something. Like, oh, I got UCLA and you Oklahoma. Are looking live. No, I... I was looking at your poll earlier, and you had Clemson 3. We'll talk about your poll a little bit later, but we'll dig. You'll talk about the poll and how wrong I have it. That's what everybody tells me. And I saw some post today. It's like, well, you got one and two wrong, and I'd flip these to it. Other than that, it's fine. It's like people have such a strong opinion about how my uh, AP Top 25 ballot should look every week. Are you sick of voting yet? I still like it. I enjoy okay. it. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'll get burned out once I get uh, a few more Vanderbilt uh, – type <laughs> inundations of recommendations about how I should uh, should uh, rank these teams. But right now, I'm, I'm fine with it. Well, I, I do respect that you you explain all of your – you know, if, if people have a problem, they at least know your reasoning behind it. Yeah. Well, people you... call me an idiot on a daily basis. I mean, that's Twitter. So right. it's just a few more people call me an idiot on Sunday. <laughs> I can deal with that. Okay, we'll look back briefly on the ODU game. Not very long will we spend there, but we'll then we'll dive into this Clemson matchup and talk about offense, defense, um, you know, intangibles, <laughs> everything, game day being there. We'll, we'll get into all of it. Let's uh, briefly touch on the ODU game. Tech wins that one 38 to nothing. Uh, you predicted that correctly that they would they would cover with ease. I thought maybe they would you know be you know, not cover win by twenty three or something like that. But they they uh, didn't start that fast, but they ran away with the game. Any any thoughts on ODU? Uh, pretty good performance. Uh, you know, offense did what it needed to do. Defense was very strong. I think ODU cut, crossed the fifty by one yard one time. That was the opening drive, and I think that may even have been a generous spot or a generous way they recorded that. Uh, yeah, you can't ask for much more than that uh, the defense, I think. Although somebody sent me an email. I was like, you didn't mention the three calls that completely altered the course of the game. I'm like, give me a break here. There were not th- there were not calls in that game that would have changed the outcome of it. It was Virginia Tech all the way. Uh, it was not a competitive contest. I know ODU came in completely beat up. You know, in years past, this might have been a, a sort of different competitive game from ODU's standpoint. But... Uh, you know, they, they contained that quarterback pretty well, even though he eluded them uh, the pass rush a couple times and, and got passes off. They weren't necessarily complete, but it's not like they were sacking him a bunch. But uh, still, to get a shutout, to put up 580 yards, whatever they had, I, I think it's the most in back-to-back weeks they've had uh, since at least 1987, as far back as the records go. So you can't really argue with how the offense is humming right now, even though the competition's down a little bit. Uh, you can't argue with the fact that they've scored 95 straight points uh, last 12 quarters. They've given up 17 points. Uh, defense seems to be playing pretty well. I don't know if any of that translates to Clemson necessarily, but you probably feel better about this team playing well going into this matchup than if they were struggling with these teams. Yeah, I wrote about Stephen Peoples. He scored three touchdowns. Of course, the Galax running back. Uh, you know, this is the kind of game where you write about guys like Stephen Peoples when they have big games. So let's move on to the to the actual big game. Game day, the game day announcement came, you know, I guess hours after the completion of the of the game, the ODU game, kind of just confirmed what we had already speculated last week that this was going to be where game day came. How big is this game? Just um, and what does the game day thing, the circus of game day, add to that? It's a big game. I mean, it's the biggest game I've covered uh, since I've been in Virginia Tech. Uh, and that's since middle of 2011 uh, when I came on the beat. Uh, are you going to rank it ahead? Are you saying regular season? Or are you going to rank it ahead of last year's ACC title game? Oh, I would rank it ahead of that. Would you? Yeah, I think I would. I mean, Virginia Tech, I don't think was ranked coming into that game. Were they? Or if they, if they were, it was way down there. Well, I think I think everyone kind of assumed that Tech wouldn't give them a great game, so maybe it didn't. Well, I'm talking. Yeah, I'm talking not like the actual result of the game. I mean, if you go by the actual result of that game, that Virginia Tech Ohio State game a couple years ago when they won in Columbus was huge. I right. mean, it didn't end up being huge in the standings, but at the time, you're like, whoa, this is that was a huge win. That was a big game, I mean, and it turns out in the end. 
Ohio State was a very good team. I'm just talking about going in, what these two teams are going into this game. Yeah, but I, I think in stakes, when your stakes are a conference championship, that's a pretty big that's a pretty big game. I yeah, mean, you win, you are the conference champion. You're going to the old Orange Bowl. I mean, there, there's still, still a lot say, of season. I'd still say this is bigger just okay. coming into this. If, I, if, again, if, again, because I feel like not a lot of people gave Virginia Tech a chance in that game. What, what were they, 10-point underdogs? I think they were at least double digits, weren't they? Yeah, I think it was something like that. And I picked them to cover because – and then I was rooting hard for them to cover because I remember that very vividly. Or start, the way that game started, I was like, oh. Yeah, they were down 14 so early. Yeah. They were down 14 early and didn't really get going until that fake punt, that, that really sweet fake punt that they did on the jump shot pass to Terrell Edmonds. Uh, that ended up being a very competitive game. So I, I think that sort of took you by surprise that that was such a good game uh, in that you know, spot on the schedule. Uh, this one coming in just has all sorts of hype around it. They haven't had two top 15 teams at Lane Stadium or one was in the top five since that 2007 Matt Ryan game. Uh, you know, it, In hindsight, Boston College wasn't as good as number two in the country. Uh, like they were ranked that year. That was a weird season where like five or six different teams got up to number two and then lost. Uh, Virginia Tech you know, it kind of kicking itself that year, I think, for not cashing in on the prime opportunity to, to actually get into that national conversation uh, where all those teams lost at the end of the year. Uh, before that, I think you know I, a game I remember, I, this was early in my career covering it uh, when I was at the Danville Register and B, was um, when Miami came into Lane Stadium 2003, uh, had a 39-game regular season winning streak, I think. And Virginia Tech just obliterated them. I mean, it was 31 to nothing. Uh, D'Angelo Hall had a fumble return for a touchdown to start the scoring. Uh, Miami just looked completely lost in that game. And you wouldn't expect that from a team that had been that good at the time. Coming into that, Virginia Tech was number 10. Miami was number 2. So kind of the same rankings uh, in this one. I, I think David Teal put the stat out there. Uh, there's never been two top 12 teams that have been unbeaten that have played in Lane Stadium. So, you know, from that standpoint, this could be sort of a historic game in terms of, uh, you know, magnitude and significance. Well, the line opened at, at Clemson by seven, which was a little bit higher than I thought when we did our video after the ODU game. I said I thought maybe it'd be in the three to five range, and I'm usually not that far off when predicting lines, but uh, it's it opened at seven, and it's even ticked up a bit, gone to seven and a half, and Vegas really hates to move uh, off a touchdown line or a three-point line, you know, takes some some action to to get a, that half of a point. Um, what do you think of that line? And I mean, we'll get to our predictions later, but I mean, were you a little surprised it was as high as it is? Or no, not really. I mean, I think Louisville, Clemson was a three-point favorite in that game and right. won it handily. Uh, you know, I think people still question exactly how good Virginia Tech is at this point. I know their ranking is is higher than Louisville was at the time, but. Uh, certainly didn't have somebody like Lamar Jackson to factor into the equation, and, and Clemson went in there and handled him pretty well. So uh, it does not surprise me. This is a, a battle-tested Clemson team, from what I've read uh, and seen, looking at their history this season. And yeah, I think there's a lot of uh, sort of comfort in picking the Tigers to go on the road in a game like this and, and be able to handle an atmosphere like this because they've been through it before. So you know, touchdown, touchdown favorite doesn't surprise me. Well, we're, we're nearing the baseball playoffs, and congrats to your t twins, by the way. I wish we had more time to talk about that. But Congrats to the twins for being very favorably <laughs> scheduled against the Tigers seven times in the last ten games or something like that. It's like when the husk, the rotting husk of the Tigers roster is who the twins get to play, and they're going to get the second wild card because of that. Hey, however it comes. But, uh, you know, Justin Fuente has been sort of a John Smoltz type in these big games. I mean, he's been – bringing the heat uh in 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 the in the biggest on the biggest stages for virginia tech so far and obviously it's only been uh one year plus but uh west virginia the acc title game was more competitive than people thought um you know they've 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 won they won that miami game and and they've done a lot of uh good in these types of games bristol didn't go so well you're, you're a good point bristol was a fumble fest that was a weird i mean game. that was yeah. that was i thought that was a you play that 10 times i don't think you get that lopsided of a score yeah yeah especially the way tennessee ended that season but um i don't know uh, what do you think about just their readiness factor for this i mean you, i i wonder i know everyone wonders about the distractions and, and everything that comes with game day and those types of things but it seems to me when it's been uh, a matter of keeping your emotions uh, reeled in uh, fuente's done a good job of getting these guys ready 
Yeah, I think so. I think the the greater issue has been maintaining that after big wins. You right. look at Syracuse last year, Georgia Tech last year, coming off the. Uh, I think it was I forget what was the game right before Georgia Tech last year. Was it Duke or I can't remember who it was right before? But they were sort of flying high at that point of the season. Nobody expected them to lose that game. Uh, but yeah, you, you're right. The UNC game last year was a big one. They went in there and just dominated uh, UNC, start to finish in the rain. Uh, Notre Dame, I thought was a big game. I know the record wasn't big for Notre Dame, but that was one that had been circled on the schedule for a while. They went in there and pulled that out. Uh, you know, I think it kind of speaks to his uh, you know one and zero mantra, his day to day thing: do your job, do the job that's ahead of you. I think that works really well in these kind of big game situations because everybody's like, we're not getting ahead of ourselves, we're doing this. And maybe it's a little more lip service when the opponent isn't quite as good at the end of, of that week. So, uh, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, I kind of have my questions on how ready Virginia Tech is for this game. Um, you know, I wrote my uh, do my weekly poll thing where I explain why I rank teams where I am, where they do, where I put them. And uh, I said, I don't quite know how good Virginia Tech is. And some, some person on there took that quite literally. It was like, how do you not know? You're the beat writer. I'm like, I'm speaking about in general. They have not really played anybody since that opener. You know, I think West Virginia is pretty good. It's not like they overwhelmed West Virginia. There's a massive disparity in yards in that game. I know there were other factors of field position and stuff that played into that. But it's not like they blew West Virginia off the field. Right. Um, since then, they've played three teams that they should have run all over, and they have, to their credit. Uh, you, know, you know, Delaware's game wasn't like very fancy when they were doing it, but you know, they didn't really need to, to pull out all the stops for that win. Uh, the point is, you know, the offensive line has held up pretty well. I don't exactly know how to hold up against Clemson's D line. Josh Jackson's played pretty well. He hasn't gone against a defense this good. Uh, the defense has pitched two shutouts this season. They haven't played. Uh, a team like Clemson that can beat you in a variety of ways, that can run the ball as well as they can. I mean, I know West Virginia threw the ball that well, but uh, they didn't have a running game like Clemson does and, and kind of have that threat uh, in that area of the game. So just a lot of question marks about Virginia Tech. I had them ranked 10th this week. They're 12th in the polls. You know, this is sort of the, the litmus test, I guess, to see how good this team actually is. I don't think they need to win it necessarily to justify that ranking, but they do just need to come out and compete and play well. Yeah, and talking about atmosphere and big games and all that, I mean, I was asking, I asked Fuente about, uh, you know, sort of sequestering yourself in Roanoke like they do before the games, and he, he said, yeah, and, you know, they do a pretty good job of, of minimizing everything, and then they get on the bus and they come in and you see the lights and, you see, you know, there's thousands of people there to greet you and it kind of hits you that oh yeah all this chatter was about something you know this is a real deal that we're dealing with here um i might write a little bit more about that on saturday because i think it's uh, kind of interesting how that switch gets flipped you know before a game of this magnitude well you you touched on the defensive line uh, what makes clemson's defensive line special uh it sounds like size speed talent and scheme uh you know, we asked Fuente about it this week, and he's like, "Like, it's just like an embarrassment of Richmond riches." Was his quote? He's like, "I know guys that they have recruited that aren't even on the two deep." <laughs> that kind of speaks to the uh, kind of talent level that they've accumulated over the years. Obviously, Dabo Swinney's been recruiting at that kind of level for quite a while now. It's not like it's a one or two year thing. It's been six, seven years that they've been recruiting like that. So when you do that, you have this very deep pool of talented guys. Uh, you look at their first team, uh, Dexter Lawrence and Christian Wilkins on in, on the interior are two All-American candidates. Uh, Cleland Farrell at end is a guy that Virginia Tech recruited hard that ended up going out of state that is uh, sort of taken over uh, once he's gone to a starting role last year is, is turned into a, a pretty star player down there. Austin Bryant is the other defensive end who's probably the least talked about guy on this defensive line. And he had four sacks against Auburn. <laughs> His team best five sacks on the season. So the, the guy that gets the least pub of the defensive lineman in that group has a team high five sacks so far and had four in one game. So uh, there's no uh, let up from any of those spots. It's not like you can be, Oh, well shade are blocking to one particular guy and take him out of the game. They can beat you across the front with all four of them. So, uh, you know, that fits in with Brent Venables, defense coordinator, is a very attacking kind of uh, guy, uh, wants to 
you know, wreak havoc in the backfield. He wants to get back there and, and cause disruption, kind of like Bud Foster. And, uh, you know, the defensive line talent really plays into that. I think it'll be a tremendous challenge for the Hokies offensive line, which so far has given up four sacks in four games, but again, hasn't played the toughest competition. Yeah, I was going to say, I really would have liked to have heard from Vance Weiss, the offensive line coach this week, just about that challenge. Um, how ready do you think this O-line is? I mean, I guess you say you're, you're kind of saying you don't know, but um, I mean, you know, I, I we talked before a couple weeks ago about how I, I didn't see him getting a lot of push against Delaware, and that was uh, a little bit troubling to me. If you're if you're looking at uh, you know your 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 O line, but it sounds like this would be more about pass blocking than run run blocking. That would be the bigger issue, probably. Uh, perhaps, but I mean, it's if you can't run block, then that forces you to throw the ball every down and then that really creates a bigger problem because then Clemson just unleash the hounds. I mean, they come after you at that point. It's ear pinning, you know, they're going straight after you. So this offensive line has done pretty well this year. I mean, I know they get a ton of push against Delaware. The last two games, this team has run for 250 yards or more. Mm -hmm. Uh, First time that's happened since I think 2005. Uh, So they're running the ball pretty well right now. Uh, They're getting some movement up front pretty well right now. Again, they haven't played a line of this caliber, though. So uh, I would say the offensive line is probably playing better than last year. I think there's, you know, we asked Eric Gallo on the four sacks this week, you know, how do you think the pass blocking's been? He's like, well, none of them have been like uh, communication breakdowns or missed assignments or anything. I feel like you saw that a lot more in the past. Uh, maybe being in the second year in this offense, second year with the same o- offensive line coach. Uh, you obviously have the veterans on the left side and Nijman, uh, Wyatt Teller, Gallo at center. Uh, maybe there's a little more understanding of the scheme and what they're trying to do. And I think Josh Jackson's played into that pretty well too because he's smart about getting rid of the ball when it's obvious the play is not going to work. Uh, you know, He's scrambled out of trouble and thrown it away. Uh, probably more times than I can count this year, whereas I, I think last year Gerard wasn't quite like that. Uh, maybe it was uh, you know, more of the mindset of I can need to stick in here and make a play or, or throw the ball up in a, a bad situation. I think Jackson is more uh, willing to sort of just you know eat a play. and just you know, An incompletion is better than a sack. I, I think he understands that very well. So that plays into the whole pass protection part. Uh, but yeah, it'll be their greatest test to date this season. It'll probably be their greatest test all season. I can't imagine them playing a better uh, defensive line than this because I think Clemson might have the best defensive line in the country. Well, Fuente was speaking holistically when he said that they're, it's like trying to defuse a bomb. You know, all the size and speed everywhere on offense, defense, everything that Clemson's got. But I think it certainly applies to the offensive line as well. I mean, and, and oh, yeah. Jackson, because that's where it all starts. And uh, that, that certainly will be a matchup to keep your eye on uh, as, as we go forward. Plus that's where, that's where the big disaster could take place. Right. It's like you get a pressure, they throw the ball up, it's intercepted. Uh, they get pressure on the quarterback. How that Ohio state turn a couple years ago in lane stadium It's when they got a big hit on Michael Brewer and he separated his shoulder right. and all of a sudden game over. I mean, they got, they have nobody come in and replace him and, and be that good. I'm, I'm not saying that'll be the case in this, but when you don't protect your quarterback or when the other team's back, they're making life difficult for him. The game can turn very quickly. That's why I think this is one of the key matchups in this one. Yeah. Well, Venables, <clears throat> And Bud Foster are kind of linked in a way in that they're both considered elite defensive coordinators in the country. Uh, Bud said he thinks that Venables is, should be the best in the country, and I'm, I haven't talked to Venables, but I would assume Venables would say something similar about I think Bud. Dabo said something like that today on the yeah. ACC teleconference about Bud. How are they similar, how are, and how are they different? Well, they're both kind of wired the same way. Uh, if you've ever seen Venables on the sidelines, sort of a crazy man. On the sideline, they always have. I think they have somebody specifically designated to like keep him back on the sideline so he doesn't get penalized. Bud is sort of like that. I asked Bud that this week. He's like, "Well, my knee's kind of bothering me." You know, Bud's fifty-eight now. Maybe yeah, not. he should be on the injury report. Yeah, it sounds like maybe not quite as uh, uh, as many histrionics on the sideline as he had as a, a younger defensive coordinator. But I mean, they're both intense. They both get in your face. They both live and die on every play. I think that sort of speaks to why they've been successful defensive coordinators. They care that much about each and every detail of each and every play. Um, you look at their track records. I mean, Venables has won national titles with Oklahoma and Clemson. Uh, Bud's been to a national title game at Virginia Tech. Uh, they've both been Broyles Award, award winners. 
Uh, I think Bud was 2006 and Venables was 2016. Uh, so there's sort of a kinship there. Uh, you know, Bud said the other day, he's like, I don't know how this guy's not a head coach. And, you know, he might have been speaking about 45-year-old Bud Foster when he was saying that. I mean, yeah. that was the question. Why is it, That's what people said about Bud for the longest time. Why isn't this guy a head coach? Uh, so I think there's just sort of a bond there and a mutual respect that they have for uh, how the other side goes about business. I think Clemson's given up 9.3 points per game this year, and Virginia Tech's 10.3. Uh, I want to say that's third and sixth nationally this mm-hmm. season. Uh, that might be a way of saying bet the under on this game, but it, it, it's two very good defensive minds going against each other. It should make for an interesting matchup. Well, let's look at the other side of the ball. Uh, Clemson, so far this season, has been pretty run heavy. They have four running backs who all have more than 100 yards. Uh, they've got a, a freshman who's averaging 12 more than 12 yards per carry, uh, which ranks second nationally. 12.7 is Travis Etienne guy. Uh, this is uh, this is a varied attack, and then, then we're, not, we're not even mentioning the quarterback who can run and has run and certainly did run against Boston College. What are the challenges that uh, Tech faces there? Well, when you mention running quarterback against Virginia Tech, you're going to get uh, sort of a wincing response from the Hokies fan base. I think they've seen that uh, movie before where the opposing quarterback runs for 100 yards on them, and it's a, a rough day at the office for the Virginia Tech defense. Even guys that aren't even known as running quarterback. Remember that Boston College guy who like, oh, never yeah. run against anybody. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the Maryland game a couple years ago. Yeah. Uh, I forget the name of the, the quarterback who had his best running game ever in that one. Uh, so that always kind of raises an eyebrow, I think, from Virginia Tech fans when they see that. But uh, I think part of it is the fact that Bryant maybe – not maybe, he's not as accomplished of a passer as Deshaun Watson was last year. Uh, he doesn't. It's not quite his game – uh, two touchdown passes this year, three interceptions. He, he's completed a very high percentage. Uh, I think he had a pretty rough day last week against Boston College, 140 yards, two picks. Uh, but he did run for 100 yards, so that that threat is there. When you have a, I mean, when you have a tailback who has 23 touches this year, but he has 12.7 yards of carry and four scores, uh, that kind of makes you go, okay, this is going to be a, a tough thing to slow down. And that's always the aim of Bud Foster when he plays a team. Even if it's, you know, even when he was talking about West Virginia in the opener, which is a wide open passing offense, he always goes into it and he says, try to stop the run first, make them one dimensional, and then you can do, do different things defensively to really sort of disrupt what they're doing. I, I think this will be a scenario where the Hokies go into this game really kind of trying to sell out to stop the run force Bryant to beat them in the air and you know they've got some pretty good cornerbacks and members of the defensive secondary that the, they've relied on over the years to be in that island coverage uh I, I think it might take taking a risk like that a little bit against a team of this caliber because you can't just uh you know match hat for hat and then the quarterback runs wild on you and it, you just can't get into that kind of game because I think you're not going to win that kind of game right well I wrote about Tremaine Edmonds this week because and, and in researching that column, I went back and watched some of his uh, games, you know, the, the Miami game. There were some highlights of, of him playing. And, you know, he's better now than he was at that point last year when he was making plays all over the field. But he's their leading – he's Tech's leading tackler. Uh, 30, uh, 26 of his 33 tackles have come on rushing plays, uh, which I thought was a little interesting stat for an offense – for an outside linebacker. You don't necessarily know. He could be in coverage, and he does drop in coverage quite a bit. But I think this is an opportunity for him. I mean, we've talked about his ranginess. We've talked about his hitting ability. We've talked about all those things, and we've seen them happen. And I know, you know, fans got to look at it, you know, across the country got to look at the West Virginia game. But I think this is a stage for him to really potentially shine and have one of those 12 to 14 tackle games, maybe a couple for loss, maybe a sack here or, uh, you know, a pick or something crazy uh, where he just, you know, thrusts himself into the national limelight. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, how how great was it writing that column this week where you ask guys, like, give me a good tra- Tremaine Edmonds story. They all had one. They yeah. all have, was like, man, I got hit by him. It was like getting hit by a bus. Like, <laughs> you just don't want to get hit by this guy. He is enormous. Yeah. Uh, that has not really been the history of Virginia Tech linebackers. Uh, you know, Bud Foster, I think, described him as being a lot like uh, Xavier Adibi. 
uh, physically, from a physical standpoint, but he is taller than a DB. I think I, I want to say a DB is maybe six two, six two, six three, yeah, something, something like that. Uh, Tremaine is six five, uh, two forty seven. I think they list him at. He's every bit of that. Too. Yeah, I mean he's a he's a tall dude. He's he's just like his father of the of the three Edmonds brothers. He is the most physically like Farrell, who is a six six tight end. Uh, I think he's on the NFL Hall of Fame ballot uh, this season. Uh, he most physically resembles his father, and uh, he, you know, in the past, I think maybe the Hokies would have had him as a tight end or something like that, or uh, maybe had him grown a little bit more and played defensive end. He certainly wouldn't be out of place uh, playing a position like that here, especially with how light some of their defensive ends get. But uh, he has the athleticism to play linebacker, and he's got an NFL-sized body to be there. I mean, you, you think 6'5", 247. Those are like Alabama linebacker sizes, and not a lot of teams have that kind of uh, you know, frame on their linebackers. So it, it's impressive to see him in person, and they go, that guy's a linebacker? Yeah. That guy's moving around side to side, covering passes, uh, chasing down guys in the backfield. Uh, but he's that good, and he's, he's that athletic, and you know, if he has a big game coming up, he already has got a little preseason All-America buzz. I think uh, more of a national uh, sense will be focused in on how good he is and, and that he might be up for some of those postseason type awards. And, and more importantly, he needs to have one if Tech's going to win this game. I mean, he has to have a big game, I would think, uh, just because of the, the, at least what I anticipate to be a lot of running. And, uh, you know, he's going to have to be all over the place. And I, you know, the one thing when you talk to Bud, about his players you know he'll always mention their strengths but then he'll usually throw in a weakness or two he didn't do that with with Tremaine I mean it doesn't seem like there is one Uh, or you know I'd like to see him be a little better in space or something like nothing like that um so a good opportunity for him good opportunity for for the defense as a whole to show um that these last couple of weeks have not been a fluke well it's it's interesting you look at the history of you know physical body types that they've had at that backer position lately you know, he took over for Dion Clark, who was like 6'2", 220. I mean, he was really light for a linebacker. Uh, and people always say, you should play safety at that size of a linebacker. Uh, before that, Bruce Taylor played there. He was a Mike linebacker who played backer eventually uh, after that Liz Frank injury. I don't think he was quite the athlete Tremaine was, uh, certainly post-injury. Uh, Tariq Edwards had a leg injury. He was he was not nearly this size. It just it seems like it's been such a long time since they've had that kind of real big physical playmaking linebacker, one of those interior spots that uh, it really does add something to this defense. Yeah. Other side of the ball, a guy who's getting a lot of buzz, uh, you know, Cam Phillips. Uh, you know, he was asked on Tuesday whether he felt you know he's the leading receiver in the country right now, whether he feels like the best receiver in the country right now, and he didn't hesitate, did he? No, he said, I feel like I am the best receiver in the country. And it wasn't like a a bragging thing. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, wide receivers are very brash, and they'll be like, you know, chest-thumping and stuff like that when they're saying that. He just sort of contemplatively and then, like, just sort of -of matter-of-factly, it was like, I feel like I'm the best receiver in the country. (laughs) Just said it and just moved on. And everybody's like, you know what? He's got a pretty good argument. He's got the most receiving yards in the country. Uh, tied for fifth in touchdowns, I think. I think he's the third most receptions. Uh, he's going to be the all-time leading receiver in Virginia Tech history by the time he's done. I think he needs 12 catches, something like that. Maybe it's 20, something like that to pass Isaiah Ford. Uh, he'll get that. He needs 400 more yards to be number one on that list. You know, barring injury, he'll get that. Uh, but he's been everything that they've hoped out of him as a number one receiver. I mean, he's... He's beat guys short uh, on little out patterns. You know, he can kind of uh, tear them apart from a, just very precise with his routes and things like that and get open. And then he's beat guys deep this year. I mean, he's had a number of big plays, 20-plus uh, yard plays down the field, uh, going over the top of a defense for touchdown, did that twice against DCU, uh, had a long one against West Virginia as well. He's just sort of been the total package at receiver, and he's been everything that Virginia Tech had hoped so far. Well, and we've talked about how – He's been a little bit surprised that there haven't been more types of coverages placed on him uh, throughout the first couple for first few weeks of this season. You would think Venables will have something in his pocket for this guy. I mean, do you, how big of a challenge is it going to be for him to get open in this game? 
compared to recent games. Yeah, I think that any good defensive coordinator would look at Cam Phillips and go, he's the guy you have to stop. Yeah. I mean, it, it, Sean Savoy has played pretty well, but he's a true freshman as their second leading receiver right now. Uh, C.J. Carroll caught a touchdown pass last week. But if I'm a defensive coordinator, I go, I, make those guys beat you. I'd rather make those guys try and go beat you than uh, single coverage on Cam down the field. And I know I don't need to be telling this to any defensive coordinator. I'm sure Venables knows this and has a plan going into this that you know, they're going to pay special attention to Cam Phillips in this game. I'll be interesting to see how Virginia Tech responds. I mean, they haven't had that kind of coverages against him so far, so they've been able to continue to go to him. But – you know, Fuente's not a guy who's going to try to just, you know, ram his head against the wall if something's not working. If, if Cam is covered, they will throw to other guys in the offense. They will feature other guys in the offense. Uh, it's not ideal, and Cam will still find ways to get open, I would imagine. But uh, I, I guess I'd be surprised if he had a 189-yard, three-touchdown game in this one just because I think Clemson will pay so much attention to him. Andy, do you know who else is a pretty good receiver? I feel like you're going to tell me here, Aaron. That's right. It's time for the Pimpleton Minute, and I'll keep it very brief today. We know we have a big, bigger fish to fry today. It's not a, this is more of a spring spring topic that we usually talk about. Uh, he played against ODU. Um, he did. Well, I'm, I'm been very impressed with his blocking. He's doing a really good job run blocking. He still doesn't have a catch. When he has a catch, this Pimpleton Minute will explode. Uh, moving on. That was a very brief Pimpleton minute. Yeah, yeah, it was more of a Pimpleton 15 seconds. When they're playing teams where they beat them 38 to nothing every week, then we talk about that. But when they have the number two team in the country, it's probably more important things to get to. That's right. Let's move to Josh Jackson. You touched on him briefly earlier about, um, you know, sort of his readiness factor here. You asked the question to Cam, I believe it was, you know, are we beyond the point now where we wonder how Josh Jackson's going to respond in a bit on a big stage because he's kind of shown some things, but you and I were talking before we sat down to, to record this. It's been like three weeks since he faced somebody that, that could really beat him. Uh, are we past that point? I mean, when you asked that question, were you thinking, I think we're past that point or, or were you like, I'm genuinely curious if we're past that point. Well, I'm genuinely curious. I knew what the answer was going to be when I asked it. Yeah. Uh, I figured that's the way Cam said. So I followed it up. I said, you know, did it take the West Virginia game to figure that out about him? And he said, no, I, I knew it in practice before that. Just the way that he goes about stuff, the fact that he was legitimately in that quarterback competition last year when Gerard Evans ended up winning the job uh, in August. You know, he was in there. He was in that mix as a true freshman. So, uh, you know, that – led Cam to talk a little bit about his maturity, how he handles these situations pretty well. All that can be true. This is still a really, really good defense. And I still have my questions about how well a guy that young is going to step up in this sort of situation. Because, you know, West Virginia, not the best defense. I, I want to say Kansas put up 34 points or something on them last week. Uh, Kansas, not exactly a world beater in college football. So we'll see. You know, I think it kind of goes hand in hand with a lot of this, uh, you know, we'll see about the entire Hokies. How good of a team are they? I think Jackson is a big part of that. And, uh, yeah, I think he's done pretty well this season. Yeah, I think he's going to have a pretty good season. But you do wonder if this moment against this team on this stage, uh, you know, that could rattle anybody. Even somebody who's pretty well composed like Jackson is. So I'm curious to see how he handles it. He kind of lets everything just sort of roll off his shoulders. He's that kind of guy. But... Uh, when you have 300-pounders in your face all day, that might uh, cause you to up the stress level a little bit. I didn't put this on the sheet, but they burned Frank's red shirt last week when they brought him out for that third quarter thing. Obviously, you're not going to need much to get people excited at the end of the third quarter, provided it's still a ball game. But any guesses on who they're going to trot out there for that uh, Let's Go Hokies champ? I'll say Vic. Didn't, didn't Teal report Teal last week that, that Vic will be there? He, he was kind of cryptic about it. He said seven is is expected in the house. Now, that, that could even be Kevin Jones. But, I mean. Vic, yeah, Teal would not Teal, go that but, route, But though. he didn't say he was going to do the Bucky Hodges <laughs> is here, everybody. That's what I know. Teal, Teal is not the clickbait type of person that would tease like that only to misdirect you on what the result was. I, no, nor am I implying that. But I think. What what he didn't what he didn't say in that tweet is he's going to do it. He said he'll be in the house. Well, I'm just thinking. I mean, 
I would imagine they would not bring Frank back out there to do it. <laughs> Although if Frank brought if Frank brought Hank the dog with him, I think that would go for like gangbusters. Uh, I mean, who is the next biggest star with Virginia Tech football? And it's Pat. It's a week after the whole uh, Hall of Fame induction thing, where the dog people were outside protesting and stuff like that. So I can't imagine you'd have a situation like that. Uh, a big game like this, if it's a close one. I feel like you could bring on some star power like that and, and kind of electrify that situation. Any concern that there are some people that don't like Michael Vick? That are paying fans at Virginia Tech football games? Well, let's I mean, just say that I think that you would have to be very bold to stand up and voice your displeasure in that moment of the game uh, without having, you know, ten cups of liquid thrown on you at the, <laughs> at the game. I mean, I just don't think anybody's going to stand up and be like, no, I am against you doing this chair at this moment of the game. I think if they, if anybody was protesting that, they would just silently sit there and just be like, meh. I'm pro Mar- Marty party coming out there and doing it, but I think he's working this game. I think he told me when it may we be talked a bit earlier. unprofessional to go out yeah. there and do that. <laughs> I think he's actually based on reporting. his, based on how enthusiastic he is about these pregame reports that he does, where he's like running around the athletic bi- buildings. like, then you, you run up the slide, you slide down. It's <laughs> like, he would be the most energetic, enthusiastic cheerleader in that situation. But you're right. If he's working the game, he obviously can't do that. Uh, for one particular team, you know, I'd be interested if Bruce Smith is there or not. Yeah, he shows up to one. some of these games. I mean, I don't think he's there as much anymore now that his son's not, you know, with the program anymore. Uh, I'm just for this kind of game, I feel like you got to bring out a big gun, and they've already used Frank. Okay. Your poll. Let's uh, give us the highlights of your poll this week. Big movers were Georgia and UC, uh, TCU. I moved them up to six and seven. Uh, that was a pretty significant jump for both. Uh, TCU, I moved them past the Hokies into the top ten. Uh, it's an impressive road win. I mean, that's one of the most impressive wins of the season going into Oklahoma State. That was sort of everybody's preseason darling. I'd finally come around on Oklahoma State and put them at six last week, and then TCU goes in there and beats them by 13 on their home field. Uh, Georgia just completely manhandled Mississippi State. Uh, that Notre Dame game, the win up there in South Bend looks a lot better. Uh, Notre Dame has been a pretty good offensive team its last couple weeks against you know inferior competition, but they're still rolling right now. They didn't do much against Georgia. So I have them on the cusp of the top five. Um, I actually moved the Hokies ahead of Ohio State. Uh, it's getting to that point of the season where sort of the preseason projections or see how teams are doing is faded away, and it's, it's, it's kind of based on what your resume is at this point. Right. Right, right now, Virginia Tech, I think, has a better resume than Ohio State, so I had them higher. Uh, obviously that will change uh, for the good or for the bad this week, probably based on the results playing a team the caliber of Clemson. Uh, I dropped Florida State out. I dropped LSU out. Didn't look so good against Syracuse. I probably should have dropped LSU out last week, but I did drop Florida State out. I think that will be a ranked team by the end of the season, but I just couldn't justify putting a team that's 0-2 in there. I know there are different circumstances around the fact that they've only played two games right now, but – uh, how can you rank them right now? You have to give me a reason to rank you at this point. It can't just be, well, they played good teams. Well, your reticence on my Terrapins was well, well founded. UCF is pretty good. UCF is good. I mean, you shouldn't lose that they're, badly. They're leading the country in in uh, scoring margin, and these two teams that we're going to watch on Saturday night are actually in the top ten of the on that list as well. But the leading that list is Central Florida, which you know uh, Maryland's on its third quarterback. That has a little something to do with what's going on up there, but. Scott Frost is going to be a very good coach for Nebraska next year when they end up firing Mike Riley. I will say in my poll, I, I still have Clemson third. I have Alabama first. Uh, you know, you beat a team the caliber of Vanderbilt last week, 59 to nothing. You're going to stay number one. Uh, that's for all my Vanderbilt fans out there. Uh, I still have Oklahoma State second. I know a lot of people are like, oh, Clemson's obviously second. I, I think Oklahoma's – or I have Oklahoma second. I think I said Oklahoma State. Oklahoma second based on that Ohio State road win, which was a pretty strong showing against a higher-ranked team than Clemson has gone and played this year. Uh, Clemson beat Auburn at home, beat Louisville on the road. Those were t- both teams probably in the 15s. That's where I have them about now. I still think that Ohio State win was better. Uh, now, if Clemson comes in here this week and beats a team that I have 10th, Virginia Tech, uh, that will be three wins against top 15 teams this year for Clemson. That might be enough to jump them up to number one, just looking at the totality of their resume and everything. Uh, 
that would be pretty impressive, especially doing that twice on the road. So uh, there's a lot at stake in this game in terms of Clemson's ranking, and I think uh, they could get up to the number one. I, I know a lot of people have the number one right now. I could possibly consider the number one if they win this game. That was a real mistake from that guy. If you're going to criticize somebody for leaving at you out of a poll, don't do it before your team's about to play Alabama. Well, the Wasn't Commodores were feeling their oats before. There was some offensive lineman is like, bring on Bama. It's like, don't say that. What are you doing? You're just inviting it. Don't give them any bulletin board material. I will say, I think Virginia Tech has been pretty bland this week in its interviews. I thought Fuente was intentionally low-key. Uh, nobody said anything incendiary. Uh, I look at the Clemson side, and Cleveland Farrell's like, yeah, Virginia Tech coach cussed me out. <laughs> it's like, man, you didn't hear any of that uh, from the Virginia Tech side. I think they are preferring to try to stay as under the radar for this matchup as possible. Uh, maybe take a page out of that playbook, mm-hmm. Vanderbilt, next time that you're you're feeling pretty good about yourself. Okay, I want everyone out there to close your eyes. We're going to do a little visualization technique here. Picture a horse, okay? And then look way off into the horizon, and uh, you'll see a cart there, okay? I know that this is putting the cart way in front of the horse. What if Virginia Tech wins? What then? What happens with your rankings? What happens to the rest of the season? I mean, uh, you know, when do they when do they lose? If they're gonna lose, well, I think they're clearly a top ten team at that point. I know I have them tenth right now, so I think they are at that point just based on what they've done. You know, maybe that's a little bit overranked, but you know, resumes comparing those other teams, uh, I think they're worthy of that right now. Uh, I've seen some people have them around seventeen. Some people have them lower than that. So I think it would take a lot more to to get them on board. Certainly, beating Clemson would open a lot of eyes. Uh, is that enough to jump them into the top five? Probably not, just with the way the poll works. I'm not saying that I wouldn't consider that. I'd, I'd certainly put them ahead of Clemson. I still think Clemson is a good team uh, if they were to beat them. But uh, the way the poll works is a lot of times people say you you win, you move up a little bit. You lose, you move down a little bit. And that there's not a whole lot of jumping of teams for big wins like that. Now, I don't take that same approach, but on the whole, when there's 60 voters like that, you sort of get the aggregate, and that's how it is. It's tough to move up at big jumps. But I would imagine if they win, they would be a top 10 team in the rankings. Going from 12th to, to at least 10th wouldn't be that much of a jump for beating a team that's the defending national champs. But uh, it is a very tall task, as a lot of teams have found out lately, uh, certainly this year already. So, yes, you're putting the the cart in front of the horse at this point. So this is something we've basically been talking about the whole podcast here, but in, in sort of summation, what does the anatomy of an upset look like for you on Saturday night? What would have to I mean, how many yards would, uh, you know, passing, running, uh, what kind of, you know, low scoring, high scoring, what kind of shootout is this? Is this? You know, in the past, I would have said, oh, the only way Virginia Tech could win this game is if they make it just a rock fight, if it's like a 13-10 to 10 game or something like that. But I think this team has the capabilities of winning in a lot more ways than that. I mean, it can win a shootout. It can win a defensive battle. It can win a game where they have to put up a ton of yards or, or kind of play ball control. So I don't know if there's really uh, a recipe for success in that mind. I, I will say they, they can't let Clemson run wild on them. Yeah. I mean, that's... That's the, the biggest thing, because I think defensively, if that happens, that limits your options on what you can do to sort of attack this team. And, uh, you know, Auburn shut down Clemson a couple couple weeks ago. I mean, they won that game. Clemson won that game 14-6 to because, uh, A, it gave up 117 yards to Auburn, and B, it sacked the quarterback 11 times. So that was a, a true defensive win because, you know, Kelly Bryant didn't do a whole lot in that game. Uh, I think you need to shut down the running game and force Kelly Bryant to try to beat you in the air. I think that's your best chance for success uh, against Clemson. Boston College kind of did that last week, and and then they kind of broke through in the fourth quarter and pulled away in that game. Uh, offensively, it's you know first and foremost you have to protect the quarterback. You the can't let you can't let them live in your backfield all day. And yeah, you know, this is not groundbreaking ways to win a football game. This is obvious for every football game. I'm just thinking. In, against this specific defense, if you don't do that, nothing else matters because you won't get to anything else in your offense. So I, I don't think it's a, a game where like, oh, you have to rush for X number of yards or you have to, to throw for X number of yards. I think you just need to be uh, effective enough offensively that Clemson doesn't really know whether you're going to pass or run it. Yeah. Because if, if, if they know you're going to pass it, they can just come at you with everything they have. And I think that's where they really get effective. And uh, you know, look at that Auburn game. I think that's sort of what happened in that game, and they couldn't do anything offensively. So, 
you know, those two things. And, you know, I think this is a game where special teams will be big. I mean, that's obviously another thing you say in every game. But uh, when a team is as good defensively as Clemson is and has the offensive weapons that it does, you find your edge any way that you can. Uh, you can't have Joey Sly missing a 27-yard field goal in this game. That will come back to bite you, I imagine. Uh, you know, Oscar Bradbury, I don't think he had the best game punting last week. Probably going to be punting a bit more in this game than they have in the past couple weeks. So they're going to need him to be on his game. Coverage teams. Uh, that West Virginia game really kind of turned on a lot of those uh, hidden yardages, they like to call it. Uh, the special it boomerang. Yeah, boomerang. Good one. I like that. Uh just based on the amount of yards they saved uh, on special teams. I think that's a way that you can really sort of get back in these games, and that's something that Fuente has done his entire career. Well, to your point about trying to stop the Clemson running attack, Clemson is, uh, has won 38 straight games when rushing for at least 200 yards. Of course, they've won in a variety of ways. Their record over the last few years has been stellar. So, But if you can keep them under that 200 rushing total, that would certainly help your cause. All right, it's time for predictions. Andy, I'll let you go first. What do you think? What's going to happen? I'm going to pick Clemson. I'm going to pick Clemson 23-20. to 20. I think it'll be a close game. I do. Um, yeah, I, I do have my questions about ready, whether Virginia Tech is ready for a game quite of this magnitude yet. I think they're further along this year than I would have expected. But, uh, again, this is just such a big test that you know, I think the emotion will be there and everything. Clemson has been through that before, though. Uh, I'll give them a slight edge because of that. I think they come away with a tight victory. I'm going Hokies. Homer boy. You, Homer. Over Homer. Um, There's a pure wrestling move right there. It's like, <laughs> oh, you're going to pick against them? Well, I'm picking the home you, team, everybody. Uh, who wants to cheer me? <laughs> you got them covering. That's all I care about is who covers. No, I think Tech's going to win, and it's going to be 28-27. to 27. It's going to be a sounds like a football score, a real me. hell of a game. I mean, it's going to be, and it's going to take it's going to take a little some sprinkles of Beamer ball, I think, a little bit of defensive wonder and some crowd magic and all those things that go into playing at Lane Stadium under the lights. And I, I, I just Fuente has won me over with his big game performances. That's that's the bottom line here, and and that's why I've sort of. Uh, been a little bit hesitant uh, in some of these games against lesser opponents where I'm like, well, I don't know if they're going to really show up, you know, because it's, it's sort of been their MO is, is that those are the games they don't necessarily have their best. And that's kind of human nature. But when, they, when it comes time to play a really good team, they scheme it up well. Um, you know, Bud will have something for this quarterback. I mean, you know, he is a new quarterback. Uh, He's, he's shown some good things early on, but you know it's gonna it's gonna be a challenge for him too going into this environment. Uh, he did just fine in, in Louisville, and, and he did just fine against Auburn. But uh, this is, uh, I think, even another level of, of electricity that he's gonna experience here on, on on Saturday. Who is the star of the game then in this upset victory? Tremaine Edmonds. I mean, I think he's you know maybe he won't be the guy that we're necessarily writing all of, you know, because it's going to be somebody who scores the winning touchdown or something, and it could be Edmonds. Who knows? But I think, you know, he's going to have to have a big game. As I said before, that's that's really one of the, the biggest keys to me in this in this entire game. Hey, does it surprise you how quickly Fuente has gotten this team to this point? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I would say too. Uh, you know, when it came on, I think this was sort of the, the dream scenario was you keep Bud Foster and keep that defense doing what it's done for the last 20 years. You bring in an offensive coach that can completely rebuild that side of the ball, just build it up from scratch, uh, has sort of a modern scheme, can recruit guys to that. I think you're seeing that, but I think the fact that they've been this successful offensively uh, as they have been, I thought last year it's like, oh, well, they had a lot of stars in that system. Right. Uh, this year you go, oh, it's going to take a step back. I don't feel like they've taken that much of a step back. Uh, I always get questions from people, what would the line be if Gerard was the quarterback this year? I don't think this is necessarily a better team if Gerard Evans is the quarterback of it right now, which yeah. is amazing to me because in the offseason that's all we talked about was, right. oh, what a step back they'll take quarterback-wise because Gerard's not here. I think uh, Josh Jackson already is a better passer than Gerard ever was. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't think that he's 
the caliber of runner that Gerard is. I think Gerard is up there among the best Virginia Tech quarterbacks that were here as far as a runner. But, uh, you know, certainly I think if you have Isaiah on this team or, or Bucky, some receiving options that could spread things out so defenses have to worry about more than Cam, I think that makes quite a big difference. But I think I'm of the belief that, you know, if Gerard was the starting quarterback right now, they'd probably be seven and a half point underdogs in this game. I don't think it would change too much of the equation of how well they'd be able to compete. No, I agree with you. And you and I have been doing this long enough that when a new coach comes in, everybody, you know, has all the expectations in the world that things are going to change immediately. And we've seen enough of it to know it usually looks a little bit more like Virginia. I know Tech was in a much better place program-wise than Virginia was when, when Bronco came in. But if it's going to get better, it's going to take a little time. And and if it's going to go from, you know, seven and six to, you know, fringes at the top ten, that's going to take time. You know, at least I thought so, and it hasn't. Uh, they're on the fringes now, and they can get in if they win. This. Well, replacing a legend is never easy. It never no. goes smoothly. No. I think people point to the Florida State example of how Jimbo sort of got that going real quick. Well, Jimbo was on the staff. I mean, he took over. He knew the program. This is a complete outsider that they brought in. And yeah, Bud's still here, so you have that carryover in that sense. But uh, you know, there's not a ton of success unless the the program is just like a machine uh, where you come in and replace a longtime guy like that, and you improve this dramatically this quickly. And there was room for improvement; things had slid off a little bit in the the later Beamer years. But uh, this has been a, a quicker process than I would have thought. And uh, the fact that they're in the you know close to the top ten right now in the conversation. Uh, for you know ACC title this year with the amount of stuff that they lost last year. I think it's a very impressive thing so far. What's your plan for Saturday? How early are you getting to the to the stadium? Well, the stadium opens at 3. I imagine Teal will be there uh, looking at his watch, waiting for them to open the, the gate so he could get in. I don't know if I'll get there that early. I, I would like to avoid as much traffic as possible. So if that means getting there four hours early, I will do that just to not sit in traffic all day. Uh, so I'll get there pretty early. And you'll be tweeting about game day? or Well, game day's at 9 a.m., uh-huh. so I don't know if I'll go out there for that. We haven't really had a plan. I wouldn't mind going out there just to check it out, yeah. just to see what sort of the spectacle is. They're doing it at a weird place. They're doing an alumni mall, yeah. like over by the Torgerson Bridge, yeah. which just seems so far removed from the athletics portion of the the area that I'm kind of surprised. I, I guess there are all sorts of logistics they have to go into it. I just thought with a, a 9 a.m. show like that that they wouldn't have to worry about, uh, you know, stomping on any game day traffic or anything by the stadium but uh no i might go over there and check that out just kind of see what the whole scene is like beforehand well it'll certainly be a spectacle and uh, the game on saturday night will be one we probably won't forget anytime soon and we'll be there to cover it all be sure to check out our coverage on roanoke.com for andy bitter this is aaron mcfarling enjoy the game we'll see you next week